Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. I'm going to jump right in because we've got a lot to cover. Is that okay? You know, uh, about a month and a half ago, I guess, I had shared a message on this. It was, it was encouragement from the heroes of faith. And uh, I had used two different characters. Uh, I used Deborah and Isaiah. And today we're going to pick out two different characters. And the idea is this. Where I, I got the, the idea for the message comes from John Maxwell's book, Running with the Giants. And his, uh, the idea for the book came from this scripture right here in Hebrews. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So it's this idea that these great cloud of witnesses, these, these uh, heroes of the faith that have gone before us, and this is actually talking about, in chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, all of the listed people of faith. It's listed out by name. Of course, it doesn't include everyone because they said it's just too many for them to, to include. But ultimately, there's, you know, there's Abraham, there's Isaac. There's, they're all listed there in order about the heroes of the faith. And so this is what those great cloud of witnesses are. And this race is referring to our journey, our life's journey. You right here listening, watching online or, or on our podcast, because you're here or listening, you are alive. Would everyone agree with that? You're here. Your story's not finished, but these heroes of the faith, they've already gone on. Their story's already been written, and they've finished their race. And so this idea is that you're in this large stadium. The track is, is your life. It represents your life, and we're running around the track. And, 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 and you know, in a stadium, it's very, very difficult to hear all of the crowd noise because of how loud it is, right? I have this clip, a real short clip I want to show you. And this is, I caught this with my daughter running her first track meet. Just take a look. Come on, Issa, let's go! She's there in the blue. Uh, they're, they're neck and neck, and now she's overtaken. But she's running. She's giving it her all. She's got the baton. She's getting ready to do the pass right here. And it is complete. All right. Very good. Good way to go, Issa. Uh, They didn't win, just so you know. Um, But here's the deal. And I added the the crowd track to that, the the applause and all that. That was not uh, what was going on in the behind the scenes. But it represents this idea that when we're on the track as as an athlete or anyone, for that matter, uh, we can't hear all that people are trying to tell us because it's just too loud. The crowd is too loud. You can't hear it. In fact, I showed her this video that night and she said, you were running next to me? I'm like, well, I'm not right next to you. I was running outside the fence. Um, but I said, you, did you hear your mom and dad screaming, go Isa? And she's like, no. I'm like, yeah, okay. That makes sense, right? Because she's focused. You're, you're focused. Well, this is what we're doing. We can't hear those who want to give us advice and, and, and encouragement. And so each one of these heroes of faith, and we're going to have two today, come out of the stands and take one lap with us. And they're going to give us some advice. They're going to give us some wisdom that hopefully we can use on our journey. So are you with me? Okay. All right. You know, I get the opportunity. 
um, to meet with many different people all the time just because of what I do. I'm a pastor. And so a lot of people are just, they want to talk. They kind of want to get to know me. I want to hear their story. And so it's really a privilege, and, and I'm humbled by it because I, the, the diversity of, and the uniqueness of each story is so fascinating. But there's a thread. Uh, there's many threads throughout these stories that I hear, and it's, a, it's, a, it's on a kind of like a, a rotation. But people, when we start talking, besides faith itself and the will of God, there are some other things that happen uh, that are pretty um, uh, regular, and that is, does my life matter? Is, is what I'm doing worth something? Is it significant? And I would say it like this. I would say, um, the question is, will my life count? And this is what Elijah comes on the track saying. He says, I want to help you answer, will my life count? And so I need to give you a little bit of backstory and about Elisha. Elisha, not to be confused with Elijah. Elijah is the mentor of Elisha. And Elijah did some incredible things. He, in his own right, was a massive prophet, and he did some great miracles. But Elisha was his mentee. And Elisha was a farmer. Most of his life was farming, okay? In fact, Scripture talks about how Elijah found him, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But Elisha came from a wealthy family. But what he did day in and day out was he plowed. In planting season, he plowed day after day. And I don't know about you, but when I've never plowed anything in my life. Have, has anyone plowed anything with, with, by hand, by the way? By hand. Okay, yes, there's some of you that have plowed something, right? But have you done it behind two oxen? I don't know about you. I've seen oxen on TV. I've seen pictures. I think I've seen a few oxen at the zoo or whatever. These are not small animals. These are massive animals. And day after day, you don't have, you, I don't even know how you could do a straight row because you have two massive oxen in front of you. Uh, you're focused on the behind side of the oxen. And there are some things that you just can't unsee. Once they've been seen, you can't unsee it, right? There are some smells that you can't unsmell when you're behind an oxen. And I think sometimes our perspective is so limited. You know, I, if you're on a racetrack, you, a horse track, you see the, 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 the horses have these blinders so that they're not distracted, right? So they'll run straight, right, right, right in front of them. And this is the same with, with Elisha. I, he would say this, in fact, he would say, I had no idea that my life would amount to anything, but God allowed me to do some great things. And so, just so you know, I'm kind of going to jump to the end of the story. Elisha does 28 miracles. He, he made uh, a couple of them where he, he turned bitter water to sweet water, and he, uh, he brought back a dead man, brought him back to life. That was through Elisha's hands. And so... Sometimes, I think we go through these seasons of life when we're like, first of all, our perspective is very limited and I don't think that we see our life in a very correct way. In fact, I feel like it's a, it's a, um, it's, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, distorted. It's a distorted view of what our life really is. And I think that we need to change our perspective. We need to change our limited view 
And you may say, sure, God did some great things for Elisha, but look at me. How do I change that perspective? How do I do that? Well, I think Elisha would give this advice. He'd say, give your best wherever God puts you. Give your best wherever he puts you. Whenever you're doing the thing that is, you hate the most, whenever you're doing the thing that you seem, it seems trivial or mundane, whenever you're doing that thing in your cubicle with the same pictures that have been there for 17 years, with the calendar that's out of date, whenever you're making the schedule, whenever you're doing the same phone calls, whenever you're making the same sandwich, whenever you're doing the same thing, guess what? God's watching. Every moment he's watching, he knows where you're at. He's watching before you become great so that he can see how you will react. He's seeing how you're going to respond when it gets heated. He sees who you're going to run over to get there to accomplish that thing. How are you going to treat people? God is watching all the time. So let's get into scripture here and see what Elijah did here. So it's Elijah, and let me say it this way. Uh, we're only gonna see a few scriptures here. Please, 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 I encourage you, like every week when we provide scripture and we go talk about a story, dive deeper into what we're doing. And this is found in 1 Kings. Read 1 Kings, read 2 Kings, and see here the story of Elijah and Elijah. It's powerful. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elisha went over to him and threw his cloak across the shoulders and then walked away. So there's a couple of things. One, there was 12 teams. This was not a small farm. This was a large, for that time, this was a large farm. He, Elisha came from a wealthy home. The second thing is this. Elisha threw his cloak. Now, this is a lot, there's a lot of meaning here, a lot of significance, but I can't go into all that. We don't have time. But for today's purposes, him throwing the cloak on Elisha basically said, you're going to become my employee. You're going to become my assistant. And if you take my cloak, if you receive this from me, you're going to come follow me. Okay. That's what this means. And so that's what uh, Elisha did. Elisha is leaving, is going to leave his home, leave what he knows to become an an assistant to Elijah. Now, he doesn't know what's coming because he served Elijah for 10 years. But there's a lot of things that he's unaware of. And so, like Elisha, I think many of you and like me, there's been some small beginnings. And so, I just want to share a little bit about my story. I know some of you may, we, I've been able to share about my backstory, but I graduated college in 98. And I went directly into the ministry. I went to a Bible college, and so I got my degree in music, and I, be, I wanted to become a worship pastor. That was kind of what I did in 98. Some of you weren't even born in 98, by the way. <clears throat> Isn't that sad? You're in that time now. You're in that age where, you know, you're saying, you're like, 98? Mom, you, Dad, you didn't even think of me at that time. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, wow, there is some humility there for me. But... Uh, so I became the worst pastor. And, and one, of the, one of the things that the pastor asked me to do, the senior pastor, who was about 30 years older than me at the time, maybe even 40, um, 
he said, listen, uh, we're, the things are changing and I really want to introduce some new contemporary music to the church. They had been using hymnals and overhead projection and digital projection had just come out and he goes, I just really, I feel like that's where we want to go. Would you, would you help us do that? And we did. We went from overhead projection. How many of remember the overhead projectors? Yeah, did you run those where you're moving them across as you sang? And you kind of, you were really, if you're really good, you were doing it as they sang and the paper would come off you next. But then if you missed it, then you, the people wouldn't know what to do. And oh, it was a mess. So, it, but it was good. I spent two years there and, but I felt, I felt like it wasn't, um, God wasn't done with me. There was something else that I needed to learn. And so I began to seek a mentor in my life. And so I found, uh, I found out that I was going to be moving to Modesto, California, of all places, to sit under a gentleman by the name of Jared Ming, who was at a church called Calvary Temple Worship Center. He was the worship pastor at the time. Now, I didn't have any hopes of working there or anything like that. It just was one of those things where God opened the door and I ran through it. I'm like, will you take me in? I just want to learn from you and sit in the back and do whatever I need to do. Um, well, it ends up happening is the church hires me as his assistant worship pastor. And we got to do some amazing things. But uh, how many have, have, have ever been as an assistant? So when you're an assistant, you get the things that the main person doesn't want to do. And so that was kind of my role was whatever he didn't want to do, I ended up doing. And, uh, and I, didn't, I didn't have a problem with that. A lot of, it, a lot of the things were fun. But I was, I was now second in command, not first in command like I was before. And this is, uh, and I say this is because it's important to know that when you are in a season where you're in training, God does some things in you. And where he puts you is just as important. Where you're at in this moment, this is what Elisha is saying. But here's the thing. We had been there for about four years. We had done some big conferences. We were doing some big uh, music uh, production things and we were uh, making uh, our own music and recording CDs. And I was just, I was just burnt. <laughs> I was fried. And we just put on this big conference. It was one of the last nights. Uh, how I remember Hillsong and Darlene Check back in the day when she was leading? How many remember that? She was there leading worship and I was sitting in the pews and I, I was just, I said, God, I need a word from you. And what he spoke to me that day has kind of changed my life. And he said, I want you to be number one at being number two. I want you to be number one at being number two. And here is why that's so important. I was, there was tension, there was conflict in my life to be like, because I'm getting training to go off and do this again, to be number one. But God was saying, no, I'm training you to be a number one at being number two. I'm training you to be good at serving and assisting. I wanted to give my best from that moment on for sure, wherever God had put me. So Elisha reminds us this, that he says to give your best in the small things and God will trust you in the big. Give your best in the small things and God will trust you in the big. So let's pick it up here, back to scripture. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. And then he went with Elijah as an assistant. Again, there's a lot more meaning and symbolism to what is going on here than I can cover today. But I want to focus on 
that he went with Elijah. Now, again, he is removing himself from the wealth of his family to do this, to go with Elijah. It's a big step for him. And the other thing is, is that he's serving, Scripture says, eight to ten years without, without really knowing what was going to be after. He had no clue what God was going to do after this time. And he honestly didn't know how long it was going to serve Elijah. But Scripture, there's one translation that says that Elisha didn't even wash his hands. Elisha washed his hands for him. He was doing the most menial, the most mundane tasks. And I don't know if Elisha had this thought, but I'm just wondering, it's like, did he ever think and question, I'd rather go back to the back end of an oxen than do these mundane things anymore? I don't know, but that's where we're at. He's doing these small, what seems insurmountable things at the moment, but God says, but Elisha says, if you give God best in the small, he's gonna reward you with the big. So these are humbling times. <laughs> these are humbling times for Elisha. Now, fast forward, we were there in Modesto. Uh, my wife and I met and we got married the last year that we were there in Modesto, but she got accepted to right over here to the University of Iowa, the Carver College of Medicine. And we had to leave kind of what we knew. We had to leave that, uh, the, those, those friends that we had and, and, that, and that position that I had, which I was just feeling like I was just getting the, uh, you know, uh, just getting into it and feeling, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then God calls us to Iowa City. It was hard. Husbands, I don't know if any of you have ever had to do this or ever walked through this, but I came into a tough season. I couldn't find employment for six, I think it was probably at least five or six months. It was, I struggled to, to, to make an income. We had a hard time finding a church here that we were both wanted to serve and be a part of. And it's humbling as a husband to get here after just marrying, being newlywed and having to uh, tell the father and who I had promised I was gonna take care of your daughter, I was gonna take care of her and whatever she needed and they go back to him saying, I need help. We're not going to make it financially. I'm not going to pay rent if we don't get help. That's humbling to say, I'm going, and man, I made a promise. He asked me, he goes, are you going to take care of my daughter? I said, yes, I will. I promise you I will. And then a few months into our marriage, it comes in and it's like, well, everything changed. Now there was some understanding. I was moving. I had to find a job and all that. There was some understanding. But for me, it was very humbling for me to be in that position. So there was some time, we fi I finally found a job and we were able to help and start paying back you know, what we had used and, or borrowed and stuff like that. And uh, being a production manager at the Engler Theater in Iowa City, Pastor Rich Green, who is our lead pastor, if you're new, he's our lead pastor, walks in because he's starting this church called Life Church and he was looking for a place to rent. And lo and behold, I was the person that he's talking to. So I work out the rental agreement and I'm thinking, yeah, this is what it's going to cost you. And this was like, boy, good job. We need a good church here in, 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 in Iowa City and, and you're the man to do it. God bless you. I, hadn't, I wasn't even going to consider doing a church plan. Are you crazy? That's hard work. So we had a couple of conversations. One that kind of started about the building and the rental and all this other stuff. But ultimately, he asked, would you be a part of this? And so Anna and I went back to prayer. Um, did I mention that we prayed? And, and we talked and we prayed and we talked and we prayed and we talked. And there was a lot of back and forth because there's no money 
it wasn't like, hey, I'm going to give you a position in this life church. I'm, you know, I'm going to hire you. It wasn't that. It's like, we're doing this thing. Do you want to be a part of it? But, it's, but you have to work for free. And I'm like, I wasn't at a place where I could do that, right? That was kind of like, no, I don't want to be a part of that. I already, I'd been to big, big churches. I'm, not that I thought I was all that, but the fact was, is I'd already been there. I'm like, yeah, this is you. God bless you. God's, got to, God's working on you, not me, brother. God reminded me that the marching orders never changed. The last thing he had told me was be number one and be in number two. And so Ann and I prayed and we felt like this was what we wanted to do. And let me tell you, it was humbling to start Life Church at the beginning. We were a set-up teardown at a rec center. Rich made very little. In fact, he gave more to the church out of his own money just to support what was going on than he ever should have, in my opinion. And it was tough. It was tough. But then here in Luke, I'm reminded that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. We've got to trust God. We've got to give our best in the small things. And I'm happy to say that this November, this November, we get to celebrate 18 years since the start of Life Church in 2005. God has done some amazing things, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Give your best in the small, and God will trust you with the big things. Finally, Elisha would say this, give your best in the natural, and God will do the supernatural. What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let's read. Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. Now, if you know the story, Elijah is one of two men that were never experienced a death on earth. He was taken up in a whirlwind. And this, this is kind of what Elijah is referring to. He basically says, if you see me go up in this whirlwind, then I will grant your request. But what you're requesting is pretty difficult. And, and, and Elisha is requesting a double portion or a double anointing of what Elijah did. Isn't that crazy? Here's what's crazy, even more crazy about this. Elisha only had to ask. I'm wondering if he would have said, can I have a triple portion? What, what would have happened? What would he have said? But he said, I want a double portion. So here's the thing. All he had to do is ask. And then all he had to do is see him depart and God would grant it. And of course he did. Isn't this interesting? Elisha did 28 miracles and Elijah is recorded to have 14, a double portion of miracles. But here's the thing for us. Some of you have stopped asking. Maybe some of you have never even started to ask. Maybe some of you have never even started to pray. And some of those who have been praying have stopped praying. And I don't want to demean any prayer because I think God hears them all. But these token prayers that we do, 
for, for blessing our food and the things that we do right before bed and the things that we do, the, the, the token prayers that are just repetitive and are, 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 uh, uh, that just really don't have a super big meaning. And maybe they do for you, but some of us, they, we have just, because we've always done the same thing, that's what we're going to say. God is gracious. God is good. Thank you for this food. We've stopped asking for the big things. And more importantly, we stopped asking and praying for the big things. And I'm wanting to be here right now in this moment saying, Life Church, I want you to start praying for God to do the big things in your life. And not only that, we want to partner with you in praying for the big things in your life. Starting with, for us, like for instance, my friend, Sarah, who needs God-sized miracle. She's been given three months to live because of cancer. Sarah, if you're watching right now, I'm believing for a God-sized miracle for you and that God would heal your body. I'm believing for that. I'm believing that God will secure us a space. We lease this space. I want either to buy this building all outright or find another place for that. We need that for our Coralville location. We need a God-sized miracle. We need to secure a building for our life, our campus in Cedar Rapids. We need a God-sized miracle. And we're believing for, we started out believing this year for way more. We are completely dissatisfied with how many people received Christ last year. And we said, we're turning this around. We're going to turn this around. We're going to see more people. We, within the first month and a half, we had more people receive Christ in the first month and a half of this year than we did all of last year that was recorded because we're asking for it. We're asking for God-sized miracles in our life. And I'm believing for God-sized miracles in your life. So why can't we pray for a thousand people next year to come to know Jesus through Life Church? He can do that. That's easy. What is it in your life that God needs to do? What is it that you need to start asking for? James says, you don't have because you don't ask. Ask him. Jesus says this in his own words. He goes, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater because I am going to be with the father. He goes on. You can ask for anything in my name. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. You ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. These are Jesus's words. Ask him. Ask him, don't stop asking. So Elisha would say this, if you want your life to count, give your best wherever God puts you. Even the most obscure, do your best. Give your best in the small things because if you give your best in the small things, he's gonna trust you with the big things. And finally, give your best in the natural. Guys, because we're believing for God to do the supernatural. Pray, as, as, as Pastor Rich says, those audacious, those big, hairy, audacious prayers. It's uncomfortable of what you're asking. That's when you're uncomfortable. That's where God wants to be, when you're uncomfortable, because he knows you can't do it. There's nothing that you can do to fix it. It's all him. And he's okay. Bring it on. It's on me. Rahab is, or uh, Elisha is done and he high fives Rahab as she walks out on the, onto the track. Are you ready for Rahab's story? No, you're not ready. We can be done. We are closing here shortly, but Rahab has something important to tell you. And she says this, I never could have imagined that one decision would impact my life in such a redemptive way. And I'm gonna give you the spoiler. 
The first fact is that Rahab is a prostitute. The second fact is that she is the great-grandmother of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you spent any time looking at the lineage of Jesus, but it's messed up. It's messed up, guys. I'm telling you, it is messed up. You've got murderers, you've got adulterers, you've got anything that you can think of. This is the lineage of Jesus. Jesus came perfect, but his family was a mess. And God can be redemptive in all of that. We're a mess. We're a mess. I'm a mess. I've got mismatched socks on. My wife is making me grow out my hair and it's in an ugly phase and I can't take it. I want to shave it off. Jesus' great, 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 eight greats. Grandmother was a prostitute and Jesus came not as a king, not as a king in a palace and under all of this beautiful stuff. He came in a barn. The most humble beginnings and that gives, gives me so much hope because it, it wasn't perfect all of his stuff wasn't perfect. And that's great for us. That's a great for us because our stuff is not perfect. We're a mess. And he could handle our mess. David, King David, says this. In fact, he's a part. <laughs> he is a part of the lineage of Jesus, who was also a murderer, by the way. He says this. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. What it's basically saying is that we've written it down. There is record of you and all of the things of your story. It's been written before you were even born. I recorded it before one breath was taken by you. We've already written it down. And some of you are sitting here probably saying, is this my story? This circumstance and this season of my life, is this what everything looks like for me? Is this what it's going to, is this my lot in life? And I'm going to say, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think this is the end. In fact, I started out by saying, this is not the end of your story. But the problem is, is that we've added a lot of revisions. And some of you, like me, have added a lot of chapters to our story. In fact, I think Rahab would say this. Let God write your story. And we're going to talk about trying to get this and how does that happen. But Rahab is saying, let God write your story. We, by nature, are driven. We are driven people. Culture is saying, if you want it, if you want these accolades, if you want to become this kind of influencer, if you want to see this kind of paycheck, this is how you have to do it. You've got to take it by the horns and do it yourself. You're the author of your fate. And I'm telling you, that's what this culture says. God's culture says that's exactly the opposite of what you need to do. You've got to put God at the forefront and put him in the place of writing your story. He is the author. In fact, Hebrews says this right here. Looking into, unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. It's Jesus, not us. Come on, let's be honest. Most of you, if you could do it over and have an, a, the ability to rewrite your story, you would do that. But the challenge is this, we can't do that. We can't rip that chapter out, it's there. So what do we do? How, how, how do we change this? 
we've got to take the pen out of our own hands from writing our own story and we've got to give it back to God. We've got to give it back to God to write his story for our life. So how do we do that? And Rahab would say this. First is God searches for you. Understand that God is searching for you. Matthew 18, it's the parable of the lost sheep. Let's read it. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? I love that song, Reckless Love, that we sing it here often. It is, the imagery of this song uh, is so great because it says, you know, the love of God is so much that he's going to leave, leave the herd, he's going to leave the rest of them to come after the one. The one is us. The one is the lost and he's searching for you. He's searching for us. He wants to find you. For me, I was mischievous <laughs> as a kid. Born in 75, I grew up in the 80s, was in grade school in the 80s, and, and back then, at least where I was at, in the summer when school was out, you did not come into the house. You played outside all day long. You came in to use the restroom, maybe to get a bite to eat, but most of the time the food was left out on the porch. Fend for yourself. I don't want to see you until the light comes on, the street light comes on. Now, this was not a shade against my parents. This is just how it was. This is what everyone did. This is like, they didn't want to see us. They wanted us just doing something active outside. And... We had railroad tracks. We had shops close to our house and stuff like that. And I did the craziest stuff. I got in trouble. I put, you know, we did the normal penny things. You put the penny on the tracks and you flatten them out. And I did something. I can't even remember what it was, but it was so big. I think it was a, I don't know if it was a cinder block or something, but it was super heavy. The train had to stop because it was so big on the track. I got in trouble. How many of you ever, ever had a whooping? Not a spanking. I'm talking about a whooping. Many, many whoopings have come across this, this bottom, this behind here. I don't even know how I, they ended up finding it. There was no video cameras or something. It was a neighbor or something, but I got in trouble. It was me, okay? I, I'm, like, I'm the problem, it's me. Okay. I, I, that was, I started stealing from the grocery store cigarettes and tobacco or uh, chewing tobacco and, and, and candy and all that. And then if we did have money, we'd go down to the bait shop and get some you know, a nickel and dime candies, you know, from the thing. Remember those, uh, those candy necklaces that you could buy? Um, those were the nast. I mean, who in their right mind made a candy necklace that you wore, sucked on, and then let go of it and slap your neck and all the... I love those things. I know, I know, right? I know. The candy cigarettes, that was my start with cigarettes thing. The candy cigarettes, remember those? I'm moving on. <laughs> I was heading down a destructive path, needless to say. Um, you would be surprised by the, some of the things that I've done. And, but I'll share this one story because this was the turning point for me. Uh, we, were, uh, we had moved away from our, our hometown. We'd come back for a family reunion. The family reunion event was in the evening, and so we had all day. I found one of my old friends. We got to hang out, went to our grade school, was playing cops and robbers. Again, this, I think I was in junior high or something like that. We were playing some kind of a, you know, Rambo, something, something shoot 'em up whatever. And we're playing in there. Well, there was a window that was cracked open. So I crawled through the window and opened the door for him so we could play basketball inside. 
Okay, I mean, it was pretty innocent as far as that. We got done playing basketball and walked out the door. What I didn't know was I had, I had set off the silent alarm. Who was waiting for us? Three cops, guns drawn, and I freaked out. And I, and I told this to the other services. I'm like, I mean, given, we have a lot of law enforcement that come to Life Church and all that, but I'm thinking, what if it was somebody new to the force who, who just didn't know how to react when they had some, you know, kids coming out with guns and all that? Somebody could have pulled their trigger, right? And it, my life would have ended right then. And as a parent, I think about those moments. I'm like, I was so dumb. What was I thinking? They handcuff us. We get put in the back of the, the van. We take, get down, take, take into the station. They call on my parents right away. I could have been in there maybe an hour. My mom, I found out later, left me in there most of the day, hours. She said, can you keep him in the cell? And they said, we can do that. And so she, in fact, my friend had gone, had been gone. As soon as he got the call, the parents came and got him. I was there left in the cell. I got to see for the first time, you know, somebody of the, 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 you know, the repeat offenders, you know, that had been over there and had signed the wall. And you could see they'd been in there multiple times. This was the moment in my life that, 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 that I, knew, I knew I needed to make a change for good because there was no way that if I kept on going down this path that it was gonna end up good. Well, fast forward into my junior year of high school. We are at a youth group thing. I could only, in order for me to go play with uh, some volleyball that I really wanted to play with the other kids, I had to go to this prayer night, the stinking night of prayer. Who wants to do that as a junior hire or a high schooler? But I did it, and God searched for me, and he found me. And that was the night I put the pen back in his hands. I prayed that prayer. I'm saying, God, there's something has to turn around. Something has to change in me. And I think for you guys here, in your darkest, your deepest, darkest moments, this may be the season right now. You're just like, God, I'm struggling. This is it. I'm feeling it. I'm in it. I don't even know how I'm going to get out of it. He's searching for you. He's searching for you. And he wants you to be in his story. So how does this even connect to Rahab? Well, a little bit of backstory. Rahab, uh, or this is in Joshua. Joshua just takes the reins from Moses. Moses had passed away. Joshua uh, was Moses' assistant. And he now is in charge over Israel. Well, God had promised Israel, or Joshua that they would take the land. They would get back the land that was taken. So they were going to reclaim the land. They were on the other side of the Jordan River. And on the, on the other side was of uh, Jericho, the city of Jericho. And there happened to be this girl named Rahab. This woman named Rahab, who the, her house was built into the city wall. And so in order for them to need, know what's going on with the city and how to the best attack it, they sent two spies over there just to see what was going on. And so they sent uh, the, the spies over, and this is where we pick it up in the story right here. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Mm. As a pastor, that's as close as I'm going to get. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Let me ask you, just by reading this, was Rahab searching for the men? I believe God is orchestrating moments and moments in our life where he has sent people our way. 
He is searching for us. And we have turned the other way or we've kept the pin and said, God, I, I've heard you. I see that. I see that moment. I felt it, but I'm like, it's too good. What I'm doing is too good. You're going to mess things up for me. But look at what Revelation says. It says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. God is just gently knocking. And he'll continue to knock. And all he's saying is, let me in. He's not gonna force his way through the door. God's big enough to force his way. But we have a choice. And the choice is ours if we're going to let him in or not. The second thing that Rahab would say is this. God makes us, God makes a way for us to be in his story. So it's just not good enough that God searches for us. There has to be a way that we could enter back in the story. And this is what's the awesome thing about Rahab's story. Rahab already heard about the miracles that Moses had done. She had already heard about the parting of the sea and, and all, of the, uh, all of the different things that had happened. That story was big. In fact, she even mentions it in the scripture and says, you know, I want to I, I, I know this God of Israel because we've heard about all of these crazy things. And Rahab took these guys in and protected them. The king of Jericho came in to say, uh, hey, have you seen these two guys? And she's like, yeah, they went this way. You need to go hurry before you miss them. All the while, she had protected those guys, put them, hidden them in on the roof of her house to protect them. And so she goes, hey, listen, since I've done this thing, since I put my life at risk, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to save me. I need you to save my family. And she did. And this is their reply right here. We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. It goes on. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging in the window. Because she followed through with her and she kept, you know, not telling anybody about where they had gone. You know the rest of the story. But the significance of this scarlet rope is important. I don't want you to miss this. Red or scarlet throughout scripture means blood. Blood means sacrifice. And sacrifice means salvation. We're going to talk more about that here in just a minute. But I just want you to, 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 to hear this. There's something that needed to be sacrificed. There's something that needed to be done for salvation for her and her family to, that had to happen. And because she did this thing, you know the story. Help me sing it. Joshua won the battle of Jericho. Uh, Jericho. Sing it. Jericho. Joshua won the battle of And the. You know the song. They walked around the city seven times. They blew the ram's horn. The walls came tumbling down. Except for one piece of the wall. And guess whose house that was? Rahab. Rahab and her family were saved because she obeyed God. She allowed God to use her. And this scarlet rope is our invitation for us today. Salvation only comes by one way. We are out of the old covenant and now we're into the new covenant where Jesus comes on the scene. 
But this is what Joshua said. In Joshua 6, it says this. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives. He kept his end of the bargain who were in her house because she had hidden the spies. Joshua sent to Jericho. He followed through with what he was supposed to do. You guys, we try to find, we try to find the key to this life in so many ways. You've, you, you want to take this job because it's going to give you, you know, the, all, the, all the things that you've ever wanted. You've, take, you've gone to this school because of its pedigree and you want to get this degree because that's the key. You want to trade in this relationship for the next relationship because, well, you know, they're going to make me happy. And this is what I've been missing a part of my life. Let me tell you this. Hear me out. Your identity and your salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. Who you are, not what you are, not what you do, who you are, who God calls you to be and God, what God says who, uh, you are, that only comes through Jesus And here's what's crazy for Rahab, in case you forgot. Yes, she was a prostitute and God saves her, right? But the story's not over. There's redemption a part of this story. Yes, her and her family got saved, hallelujah. But it's not the end of the story because she's the great, 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 eight great grandmother of Jesus. That is redemption. And salvation is the beginning Salvation is not the end. Salvation is the beginning of our story. So once we put this pen back in God's hands, there is hope for us because he's writing it, not us. And both Rahab and Elisha would say, our stories have turned out so much better than we could have ever imagined. Now, here's what I want you to do. I got a couple of takeaways for you. Let me, let me start with this one first. I'm going to ask, I'm going to do a prayer of salvation today. I'm not going to mince words. I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to embarrass you. I am going to ask you to respond, but I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want you to know that this is an opportunity for you to receive Christ if you've not done that before. That's going to happen. But I'm asking you to do this. If you do that, I want you to fill out the card letting us know because we don't want you to do this alone. We don't want you to walk out here and say, okay, now what, God? We want to walk with you. We have people standing in line ready to walk with you and disciple you. Amen? The next thing is this. Start praying big prayers. Guys, we've got to get get real with God. Culture is telling us that this is just this. Get all that you can get and just live your life as happy. Retire to, to Arizona and Florida and California and live your life great on the golf course and all that. That's not what God calls us to. It's so much bigger and our prayers need to, uh, need to get bigger. They need to get more real for us. Amen? Stand to your feet, would you please? Listen, we're going to have prayer teams here. We don't want you to leave without if you have a need in your life, we want to pray with you. We want to partner with you. We don't just, it's not lip service. We, we live this out. We have prayer teams that, are, that pray for you every stinking day. This is real for us. And I hope it becomes real for you. So if you would, every person, please just bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm just going to talk to you for a minute because... We talked about salvation. What does that mean? Well, Jesus came to the cross. He went to the cross. God sent his son to the cross for you and me. The only way that we can be saved was because of the blood shed by Jesus. That is the only way. He says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that I, 
that, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's what scripture says. And I wanna give you that opportunity right now. If you've been walking through this life and you have not given over your life or if you've walked away, I wanna give you the opportunity to know Jesus in a real, real way. So with, with your eyes, because I don't want people looking around because I want this to be a, a special moment between you and Jesus. Will you raise your hand to tell me that it's like, listen, I want salvation. I need salvation just by the showing of your hands. I wanna walk right with God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Too many, too many, too many to count. You guys, thank you so much. And here's what we're gonna do. We're all praying this. No one's gonna be left out. I want you to pray this prayer. Everyone out loud, say, Jesus, I give you my life. I turn away from darkness. And I want to be walking the light. I repent of my sin. Help me to follow you the best way I know how. Help me to serve you the rest of my days. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in and through us. We thank you that this is not just one day, God. This is a day that is the beginning of something so spectacular for those who, have, who, have, who claim you as Lord and King of their life. God, I'm tired of going back through the rigmarole of the back and forth. God, I give you the pen to my story. And I pray that the people here today give you the pen to their story so they stop writing it, so they stop getting in this, the, the mire of all the day-to-day -day stuff, but they want to give you their life. They say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And so we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.